Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to have you out today. Um, I'll just inform one more thing to let you know about. There's, there's not going to be youth tonight. This weekend they have their squad meetings. And so uh, uh, just make a, a mental note of that. No student ministry tonight. Who's ready for some chili today? Woo! I am. I am so stoked. I feel like I've been waiting for this moment for three years. Here we go. Awesome. We'd love to have you all hang out. Whether you brought a chili or not, you're totally welcome to stick around and have some food. That would be awesome. I feel like I'm very echoey. Do I need to make an adjustment up here? No? I'll just keep talking and let you do your thing back there. Awesome. Hey, uh, one of the first questions that we get asked um, when we are little is the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, recently, a, a group of you, ad adults was asked that question, like, what did, how did you answer that uh, when you were a child? And uh, for boys and girls, it's, it's pretty different what they want to be when they grow up. But there were some common themes that kind of emerged uh, as that question was asked to a, a group of, of adults. And uh, for guys, uh, the number one thing that guys wanted to be, little boys wanted to be, their big dream, that what they wanted to be when they grew up. Anybody got a guess? What was the number one thing? The number one thing, you're all kind of close. Number one thing was a pilot. Whether that's like a jet pilot or a commercial jet, whatever, it was a, it was a pilot. Number two thing was an athlete of some sort. And number three thing was a police officer or a detective. And uh, for girls, their childhood dreams were to become, any guesses around them, what number one was? Someone said it over here. Veterinarian was the number one thing. And uh, number two was a teacher. And number three was a dancer or a choreographer or something along those lines. And yes, <laughs> I'm coming to that. Uh, <laughs> And when that same group of adults was asked the question, as adults, I'm just going to switch out mics here. Is that okay? Yeah? Okay. All right. Let's go right here. We're always amazed on Sundays. Oh, that's much better. How it's like there's little gremlins in, in the sound system sometimes for all of you 80s children out there. <laughs> but when that same group of adults was asked... Um, are you doing the thing that you wanted to, that you dreamt about doing as a child? Only 4% of them said yes. 96% were not doing the thing they're dreaming about as kids. And the number one reason that they, they gave up pursuing that childhood dream was that they felt like they were lacking something. They felt like they were lacking uh, talent. They were lacking opportunity. They were lacking resources, whatever it might be. And so they weren't doing it. And, and the what, what do you want to be question is an interesting question to ask a child. It starts you kind of thinking and, and figuring out the vocational path that you're going to take in life. And even though most people don't become what their childhood self wants to be, it's interesting to see how even as children, there are, there are, there are certain aspects often of that thing that you wanted to be as a kid that you actually end up having those same aspects in the job that you have as an adult. So, for example, in the same poll that asked the adults what their childhood dream was, they found out that the most popular jobs um, for the childhood dream jobs turn in, into uh, these, these things. So those that wanted to be vets would, would often end up in some kind of science or pharmaceutical type work. Those wanting to be pilots would often end up in IT, which is very, both those fields are pretty computer heavy jobs. And um, 
uh, police officers would often go into recruitment of some kind, HR type work, both fields that involve what? A lot of, a lot of people work. And here's my big question that I want to kind of hang out on this morning, really dive into, um, is, is this. If God designed work, like we talked about last week, does it not also make sense that God would design the worker? And not just design us in the sense that he gives us eyes and ears and toes and all those kinds of things, but design us in the sense that he creates us for and calls us into a specific kind of work. So last week we talked about how you and I are, aren't just, we're not just created to rest and not just created to play, we are created to work. We weren't created to be lazy, just sit around, couch potatoes. No, God gives us strength. He gives us energy. He gives us intellect to be used, to be worked. Work was God's idea. If you didn't miss last week, I encourage you to go back and grab a hold of this. Work was God's idea. God himself, we see all throughout Scripture that God is a worker, which means that work, despite how many people view work, as a four-letter word. Work is a good thing created by a good God to enhance the world that you and I live in. And like a farmer cultivating a field so that it produces a harvest of corn or raspberries, you and I have been um, put in this place, put in this world to cultivate the world and make it a better place through work. And I don't think it should come as any surprise that most people don't um, end up doing the exact thing they wanted to do as kids. You know, as kids, you kind of have this this very small perspective on the world and and uh, and and just kind of a, a, an immature look, sort of, so to speak. Um, like Becky said, if you didn't hear, I wanted to be a rock star when I was a kid. Um, I actually floated back and forth between a, a an athlete. I wanted to be a, a hockey player, um, but the thing that I settled on the most was a uh, a rock star. And um, and uh, just playing songs, all that kind of stuff. But today, I wouldn't pick that job in a million years. No way. I don't. I, I listen to like the Rolling Stones, who are like what 155 or something like that. They've been singing the same songs for the last 100 years. I'd be like, that would drive me crazy. Plus, being on the road all the time, always away from my family, I would be a very unhappy man. It shouldn't surprise us that we grow up and, and go a, a, a different direction than the direction that we thought we'd go as kids. But I also don't think it should surprise us that some of the aspects of our childhood dream jobs carry over into the actual job that we have when we grow up. So this is not Wembley or Madison Square Garden, but here I am on a stage and hopefully inspiring and moving you like maybe a musician would do. And it's like, I think what God does is at a very young age, he starts to shape us and mold us to contribute to this world in a specific kind of way. And this morning, what I want to look, look at is, is I want to look at this concept of calling. And I'd love to go around the room this morning, but we don't have time, but I'd love to go around the room this morning. Just ask that question. What do you think of when you hear this word calling? A lot of times you hear this word tossed around the church. Um, if you're a, a student, you, you maybe have started to become introduced to this word calling as you're trying to figure out what you want to do in life. But, but what do you think of when you hear that word calling? And so we're going to dive into that. And to get there, I want to read some scripture, do a little history lesson, and then bring it all back home in a way that I've been praying is just going to, I really believe is going to open your eyes in a whole new way to how you see your, your work that you do. It doesn't matter if that work is homemaking. It doesn't matter if that work is schoolwork. It doesn't matter if that work is your paid job. But I have been praying that this morning is going to just radically shift the way that you see your work. So just a bit of context before we jump into the Bible this morning. 
Um, we're going to be reading from the book of 2 Thessalonians. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica, back in the day, was this very influential city in the ancient, uh, uh, ancient Asia. And the city was made up mostly of Greek people, and this is important to, to know. But there were also some uh, uh, Roman people and some Jewish people. A lot of them had, had heard about Jesus and put their faith and trust in Jesus and, and were now a part of the church. And so, but this new church has got some issues. And so, like Paul, who helped start this church, would often do throughout the New Testament is he would write letters to these different churches. So they didn't have email, they didn't have, have FaceTime, all that kind of stuff. Um, so he would write letters. And we're going to be reading one of these, uh, a portion of the letter second, that we call Second Thessalonians. So if you want to track along, we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 6. Paul writes, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So they're setting this model of what it means to be good, hard workers. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule that the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some of you are among you are, here's the, some of the issues, that are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. I love how he ties goodness in with work. So these are some pretty stern words from Paul here. If you don't work, you don't eat. Stop being idle, settle down, earn, work for the food that you eat. And uh, I don't know about you, but these are words that I would have heard from my dad as, a, as, a, as an older teenager at home that was just bumming around the house. Hey, Rich, you need to get to work if you want to eat. But there's a reason why Paul is being so direct and to the point here. And in order to understand this, you need to understand the people to whom Paul is writing. You see, the ancient Greek pe people believed and behaved in a certain way when it came to work. They had this thinking that certain kinds of work were better, more dignified than other kinds of work. So to the Greeks, if your work was in the fields like the arts or philosophy or politics, work of the mind, you were considered more noble than the person whose work was primarily work of the hands. Physical work was common and ordinary. That was for servants, whereas the spiritual and intellectual work, they elevated that. It was for the important, noble people. And what was happening back in this early church is that the thinking and the mindset of the broader culture around them was spilling over into the church. That, by the way, is not supposed to be how it works. The church is not supposed to be the tail. The church is supposed to be the head leading the way when it comes to culture and society. But what had happened here is that the, the, the thinking of the people had spilled over into the church, and there was a group of people who gave themselves 
to the spiritual work, doing things like prayer, teaching, evangelizing, work they considered to be more important. Meanwhile, they were ignoring what they considered to be the mundane material work. They weren't contributing to society. They weren't cultivating the world and making it a better place. In their minds, they had more important things to do, namely the spiritual work. And as you can imagine, this started to form a bit of a divide in the church. On one side of the divide, you had what was considered the sacred work. On the other side of the divide, you had what was considered the secular work. The sacred, you were, you were called to this stuff. You were called to it. But the secular work, you just did that because you needed to pay the bills and because someone had to do it. And this divide, by the way, is is as old as the church itself. One of the, the top historians in the church, uh, one of the earliest historians, just after the period of, of when the Bible was written, was a guy named Eusebius. And any kind of Bible college course on church history is going to have some textbooks in there by this guy, Eusebius. And, and listen to how the sacred-secular divide it had permeated the life of the church. Eusebius wrote this way back in the 4th century. He said, Two ways of life were given by the laws of Christ to his church. The one is above nature and beyond common human living, holy and permanently separate from the common and ordinary life of man. This one, it devotes itself to the service of God alone. Such is the perfect form of the Christian life. More humble, more human permits men to have minds for farming, for trade, and other, as he put it, secular interest in a kind of secondary grade of piety is therefore attributed to them. In other words, he says, leave the farming, leave the secondary work, leave the second class work to the ordinary people who are okay with a less perfect form of Christianity. But leave the spiritual work, the sacred work, the church work, leave that to those who are beyond and separate. Leave it to those who are too holy and too dignified for these less lofty pursuits. Does any of this kind of sound a little bit familiar? You know, in our society, if you're a doctor or a CEO of a successful business or a university professor, society deems you to have a more important job than plumbers and farmers and landscapers. There's this divide out there. I don't know if you've ever picked it up, but there's a divide out there. And it creeps into the church where spiritual workers, spiritual work, whether it's pastors, priests, etc., get this kind of different honor than the non-spiritual workers. We even have names in the church for this division. On one hand, you have the clergy. On the other hand, you have the lady. And I want you to hear something loud and clear this morning. With all due respect to Mr. Eusebius, this is not how God sees work. It's not how God sees work. This division between sacred work and secular work was not made up by God, but it was one that was made up by man. It was made up by man. There's no such thing in the Bible as a clergy-lady division of work where clergy is more deserving of, of honor and respect than the farmer or the doctor. If dividing uh, clergy and lady, if it helps distinguish between people whose full-time work is in a local church context, they maybe get paid for that, th that's all fine. But this idea 
that you're called to be a pastor, you're called to be a priest, you're called to be a nun, but not called to be a security, car, security guard or an accountant or a homemaker. That is just not from God. It's not from God. And I, I grew up surrounded by very well-meaning people who thought this, this kind of way that I'm talking about this morning. And the rule that I grew up in, there were those who were called to the ministry, and there was everybody else. And it was never said directly, but you could tell by the attention that my, my family's got a lot of pastors, and you could tell by the attention that the pastors got compared to everybody else. I have cousins to this day that, that aren't in the ministry that are, that are carrying bitterness because of how the pastors got all this attention and honor and respect and validation, and, and they didn't. And in the first church that I pastored in, as an associate, the, the lead pastor and his wife, they had all their kids were pastoring in churches, and they would always talk about how proud they were of how their sons had gotten called by God to pastor. Meanwhile, the truck drivers and the oil field workers in that same church were feeling like their job was just a little less important. And I remember how crushed those pastors were when one of their sons left the ministry to go work in some other job. And this thinking wasn't just in my family and church that I was on at the time. It was, and I still believe it is to this day, it's prevalent in the broader church. This divide be between what we consider sacred jobs and what we consider secular jobs. The divide between the, the spiritual work and what we call the unspiritual work. The called and then everybody else who just does work. Growing up, if I wanted to listen to rock and roll, in my home, there was a rule. It had to be Christian rock music. And I remember reading all kinds of different articles back in the day, and all the, 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 the artists who wrote music that was directly talking about God, they would always be pushing back on this, pushing back on this, pushing back on this, going, what do you, this is not, we're not trying to have Christian music, because music can't be Christian. Christian is meaning you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Right? Music cannot put its faith and trust in Jesus. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. And, and I grew up in this whole thinking and thinking that my, my work as a pastor was somehow higher and more sacred than non-pastor work. Had this whole way I grew up in. And so you can imagine when about 15 years ago, I was no longer a pastor in a church, but instead I was working as a, an operator in a sawmill, how devastated and depressed and confused I was because of this thinking, this wrong thinking that I had about work. And to be honest, it wasn't in that season of my life where I went from pastoring to working in a sawmill. It wasn't just that, that I had this wrong way of thinking that made me confused and depressed. I had this wrong way of thinking, if I'm just going to be real with you this morning, that made me full of so much pride. So much pride. It was with great disdain that I looked around at the rest of those workers in the sawmill and considered them beneath me. I remember it back in those days, like the movie Cars was a big movie in our, in our home, and Ethan was a lot younger, and it was just his movie. And there was this line from the movie Lightning McQueen. I just, I, I just like, oh, man, that's how I feel. And Lightning McQueen, if you remember the movie, he's in Radiator Springs, and he, he's just like, he says this line, I thought... I thought, I'm in hillbilly hell, and my IQ's dropping by the minute. <laughs> that was me. That's pride. 
It's a lot of pride. And then, then God started to do something in me that I wasn't expecting. I, I, I saw the pride. It was like full dis, on full display. And God started to do something in me. And in his grace, he did this because he didn't have to. He could have left me there in that awful place of pride. But he didn't. He actually began, began to tear down this prideful, ungodly way of looking at the, the world of work. And he worked through a lot of the, the people that I worked with in this sawmill. There was this guy named James. Um, yeah, he, this, this weathered old man who just loved Jesus. He'd been in the sawmill for like 30 years. He's probably retired now. But he would often drive me to work, and he was just a brighter light for, that, for, for Jesus in that sawmill than I could ever be. There was another guy. His name was Ron. Um, I don't even know if he was a believer or not, but he just was this guy that he wasn't a big fan of working in the sawmill, but he was just so committed to his family, to his kids, that he did it every day, day after day after day after day, and he did it with just this great attitude. Then there was this other guy, his name was Bruce, and he would often go way out of his way, because we only had one vehicle back in the day, and he'd go way out of his way to pick me up and drive me into work, and um, there was this one time where the only vehicle that we had the, the motor went on it, and Bruce offered, I don't know if you remember this back, but, but Bruce offered to help me switch out the motor in that van and put a new motor in. And by offered to help, I mean he offered to do it while I stood around and basically watched him. Cause <laughs> I'm not, and he knew that. He knew that. It was right in the middle of like prime hunting season, which in northern BC is just, if you're a hunter, you don't do anything in September or October. You just clear the calendar. And he's like, no, I'll help you switch out your, your motor. And by the way, he says, I don't, I don't want you to pay me. And when I tried to slip him some money to pay him, he was actually very offended that I did that because he had insisted. And that level of generosity and sacrifice and kindness, I'd never really seen before. And it's just as spiritual and Christ-like as anything that will ever happen in these four walls. William Tyndale was one of the great reformers of the 16th century. And he had this incredible knowledge, this gift when it came to linguistics. And, uh, the, and, and what he did with his knowledge of linguistics in the printing press that was pretty new, it helped him to do the work of translating the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into English. And he had it right when he said this about work. He said, if we look externally... There's a difference between washing dishes and preaching the Word of God. But as aiming to please God, there is no difference at all. There is a biblical view of work that there's no difference when done to the honor of the Lord between preaching and washing dishes. No difference. You see, in God's economy, there, there are no upper and lower forms of vocational calling. The idea that God calls pastors and church leaders and that everybody else just kind of has to figure it out is, again, an unbiblical way of seeing work. Did you know that the word calling actually comes from a, a 15th century French word? Uh, the, the French would say it like this, vocation. But it's, <laughs> it's spelled V-O— I thought that was funny. V-O-C-A-C-I-O-N— and of course, it's the word that we get what from? Voca vocation. And, and part of the problem, and the reason that we have this two-tiered thinking around work, is that we think, like the Greeks did way back in the days where Paul wrote this letter, we think that some lines of work are callings, while others are not. 
And it gets even more confusing when you, you think of this word calling. I don't know how, what you think of when you think of that word calling, but um, when I think of it, I think it's, it's almost like this mystical thing. We have this mystical idea of calling. And we think about Moses. He's out there in the desert, and there's a burning bush on fire. And God echoes from the bush, and he calls Moses to go forth and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. We totally mystify this idea of calling. Now, just to be sure, there are times where God will come along, and he can do this because he's God. There's times where God will come along and give you a very dramatic calling into whatever vocation he has for you in life. And those times where maybe he comes along, it's just like, boom, like he speaks to you in your, your heart and soul. Maybe you, it happened, Maybe this has happened to some of you. Maybe it happened when you were a kid. Maybe as a teenager. I don't know. Maybe it happened last week. I don't know. That does happen. But guess what? It rarely happens that way. Rarely. In fact, if you read through the Bible, the words call and calling are barely used in the Bible most often how God works, though, when he calls you into a particular vocation is he will see that job that needs to be done. He'll see a particular work that needs to be done. And then he will guide you and direct you and stir your heart, give you certain skills and gifts and passions. Or you could say he will call you into that. And guess what? He calls people to all different kinds of work. I'm going to say that again. He calls people to all different kinds of work. Not just what people would consider maybe sacred or spiritual work. Last week we read how God created the heavens and the earth. There was, was work that needed to be done. He needed somebody who was going to take the raw earth and cultivate it and get a tiller and till up that soil and care for it, get it to the place where it could produce food so that humanity could survive. And so what does God do? Does he go out looking for a philosopher or a cosmologist or a hairdresser? No, those people don't necessarily like getting dirt in their nails. So, so what does he do? He creates and he designs somebody who will be a great farmer, somebody who's going to love the dirt Somebody who's going to enjoy the wind on their face, who's got a green thumb, a knowledge of the seasons. He designs, and then he calls a farmer. The Bible put it like this. It says in Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. That is calling. Then you skip ahead to Exodus. God needs somebody who's going to work. He's got, he's got a work that needs to be done. He needs somebody who's going to build, someone who's, who's creative, someone who has an, an, an eye for design and buildings, somebody who's going to build, who's going to make God's earth a better place through creating ornate structures and beautiful stonework, who's going to design just these amazing buildings. And so what does God do? Does he go looking for somebody who's great at preaching? Or, or someone who can teach people how to pray? Does he go looking for a farmer? Does he go looking for someone who's great at throwing a football? No, he creates, and then he calls that person he created to do the job. The Bible says it like this. Exodus 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
See, I have chosen, you can also use the word called, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to do what? To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. If you ever have this thinking that some work is called work and other work is just work, you need to get Exodus 31, 1 to 5 in your soul. God sees this work that needs to be done, and he calls Bezalel, and I love how the Bible puts it here. He, he even fills him with his spirit in order to accomplish the work that God has for him to do. We need to stop having this thinking that God only empowers and fills people with his work for spiritual work for ministry work, for church-type work. No, if you're an, an accountant, he's the one who gives you the, the wisdom, the understanding, the skills to do that job that you do that's going to help make this world a better place. He gives that to you. Yes, he works through teachers, and yes, he works through college, and all that kind of stuff, but ultimately it's him. Ultimately it's him. And then there's David. David is called by God into politics. David is called by God to lead in government, to be a king, to make the world a better place, to enhance the world by being in a position where he can help maintain peace, he can help build roads, he can help make sure that people have water, he can help uphold the law, ensure that people are thriving. Does God go looking for a plumber? Does he go looking for an IT specialist? No, you couldn't pay most of those guys enough money to stand up in front of people and give a public speech. So what does God do? Well, he creates, and then he designs a leader. He starts, he, and he starts them off small. He has David out tending the sheep and looking after sheep and cleaning up their crap and moving them around from one place to another place for, so they can have food and water. And he, he cares for them, and then God ultimately calls him to this place that he has in mind. And listen to how the Bible describes David's calling to be a politician. It says this in Psalm 78. He chose— Use the word called again. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. Don't ever look at the work that you do as just work. Don't ever look at the work that you do as just work. Society might look at your work that you do maybe as like, a, a lower or second class or ordinary whatever but but let me tell you something if god created it for you for if god created you for it if god put it in you to do it if you work as unto the lord there is absolutely nothing ordinary about the work that you do in fact it's sacred because jesus is in it it's sacred and i wonder this morning like how would it change the way that you look at your work if you saw the work that you do, knowing that you're there because God called you to it. God called you to it. If you didn't just see yourself as a food industry worker, but as somebody called by God to be a light in your workplace and to make this world a better place by putting together some awesome kick-butt cheeseburgers, tacos, whatever it might be, provide well-organized grocery stores, 
What if you just didn't see your job as a refinery worker, working hard to make the American dream happen for you and your family, but instead saw yourself as called and equipped by God to provide the energy and the power to make the world a better place, a place where we can not only cultivate the world, but create a better one? What if you saw it that way? All the students in the room, what if you didn't just see yourself as having to go to school? Because that's what kids do, and that's what teenagers do, and we have to go to school. What if instead you saw yourself as called by God, just like God did with David here, chosen by God? Maybe for you it's not starting to get to the path where he has for you by being with a bunch of sheep. But you're, you're, he start, the path starts for you by being with a bunch of other students in a middle school, in a high school. You're called by God there, called to be a light there, called to learn so that you could be like David tending those sheep, starting off small and then ending up wherever he has for you, a place that you can contribute to the world, make the world a better place. You know, it changes things, doesn't it? It absolutely changes things. It brings greater purpose. It brings greater work ethic because you realize, oh, wait a second, if God is in this, if, if this isn't just some accident, if this wasn't, wasn't just my the circumstances of life or me just being clever that ended me up in this position that I'm in, if, it's, if God is in this, it, it changes even how you approach that. You are created by God to work, and you're called by God to do the work that you do. And this makes your work holy, it makes your work sacred, and it makes it extraordinary. I want to wrap up this morning um, by playing a very well-known poem, not by Steve Harvey, like I said last week, but by Paul Harvey. Uh, last week I was talking about the God Made a Farmer poem, and I asked everybody if they'd heard about Steve Harvey's poem, and everybody's like, uh, family feud guy, like, God made a farmer. No. <laughs> it's Paul Harvey. And most of you, most of you have heard this, this, uh, this poem that he wrote. And, uh, and, and I want to play a video for you that some of you are going to recognize from, I think, the 2016 Super Bowl. But Paul Harvey gets calling. The, the, the poem that you're going to hear in a second, is a, it's all about farming. But I want you just, as you're listening to this, to, to kind of capture how God calls you to whatever it is that you're doing. He shapes you. He sees a need. God cares about this world. God cares about people. He puts us here to contribute, to enhance, to cultivate, to create. He sees a job that needs to be done, and then he calls people to do it whether that's as a teacher, whether that's as a refinery worker, whether that's in law enforcement, whether that's in the healthcare industry, whether that's in any, I'm just looking around this room, there's so many different fields that are represented just in this room alone. And as we play this, as you listen to this, I want you to, to just get a sense of how God calls. God calls you to the work that you do. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. 
God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. I need somebody with arms strong enough to wrestle a calf and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to call hogs, tame cantankerous machinery, come home hungry, have to wait lunch until his wife's done feeding visiting ladies, then tell the ladies to be sure and come back real soon and mean it. So God made a farmer. God said I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay, wire, feed sacks, and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God had to have somebody willing to ride the ruts at double speed to get the hay in ahead of the rain clouds and yet stop in midfield and race to help when he sees the first smoke from a neighbor's place. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners, somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk, and replenish the self-feeder, and finish a hard week's work with a five-mile drive to church. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. Awesome. Would you pray with, pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I just really believe, Jesus, that this morning you are shifting the perspective that so many of us have on our work. And, Lord, I, I just even believe that, that, Lord, this morning you're helping God, somebody that's listening who just has seen their work as work has not understand the the bigger purpose and calling that they have to be sacred and holy and extraordinary. God, this morning, you're helping them see that, Jesus, you've been in it all along. God, just like Paul Harvey says in this, this poem, God, you saw a work that needed to be done in this world, and so you made accountants, you made oil refinery workers, you made mechanics, you made police officers, you made teachers, you made healthcare workers. God, you made all these different people because you saw work that needed to be done. And so, Lord, I pray, God, my, my prayer, Lord, for all of us, God, whether that work is work that we get paid for, whether that work is work that we don't get paid for, maybe it's, it's work that we do with a church, Volunteering, Maybe it's work that we do at home as homemakers. God, students at school. God, whatever the work is, I pray, Jesus, that, Lord, you would help us, God, to see that, that Lord, you're in it. That you are in it. That, and, and I pray, Jesus, that, Lord, because we see it 
that way, that, Lord, you would help us, God, starting tomorrow as we step into the office or as we step, God, into our workplace, our school, whatever that might be, our home. God, I pray, Lord, that we would step in there just with a, a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of calling. God, just with a greater desire, Lord, to honor you and glorify you. God, God, not only in the work that we do, but God, with how we do that work. God, may, may we not be like the, the people that, that Paul wrote this letter to in Thessalonica who just were not giving it their all because they didn't see it the right way. They had a wrong view of looking at work. God, may we not be like that. May we be people, God, who whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, may we do it all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church. God, may we shine, God, in this city, in this county. God, not just because of, um, God, the good things that we say or do outside of work, but God, may we shine, God, because of how we work how, how we work in a way that's just different. God, we work in a way that, that is not unto man, but it's unto you, God. May we shine as a result of that. And God, I just want to pray that you would encourage this morning. God, for that person who's here, who's sitting here, and, and maybe this last week has just been, God, it's been so frustrating when it comes to work. Maybe because of a boss or coworkers, or maybe just this restlessness that they can't seem to get away from. Lord, I just want to ask, God, that you would help them, God, to just see their work that they're doing now. God, may they see it through your eyes. May they see it through your eyes. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for this time that we've had together this morning. God, lifting up your name, glorifying you. And God, I pray, Lord, that that same heart, that same desire, that same spiritualness that we have here on a Sunday morning around our worship and our singing. And God, may we carry that that into our work this week. God, may we just carry you into that. God, thank you, Lord, for each, each line of work that's represented here in this room this morning. God, I thank you, Lord, that you, we just want to give you the glory, return all the glory back to you. It's not ultimately because of, of, of people that we have the wisdom and the skill and the understanding for these jobs. God, it's ultimately because of you. God, everything Everything comes from you. God, you created us. God, you gave us these hands. God, you gave us these minds. God, you gave us the opportunity that, God, that we just so happen to have because we live in this country. God, it's all because of you. It's all because of you. And God, I pray that we would give back to you, offer that back to you in a way, in, in a way that's worshipful. God, maybe work in a way that's worshipful this week. God, where we just, we, 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 we lay that wisdom and understanding and skills down on the altar, so to speak, and just say, God, it's because of you. Now, God, help me to, to, to use this for your honor and for your glory. Pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. I invite you to come back next week. Um, we're gonna keep on this series and... And um, I'm actually going to get some people, part of our church, who are going to share, and I'm going to just ask them some questions, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun for you to hear about some of the different lines of work and how, how faith and work ties in together. So we're going to start doing some of that stuff next week, and we're, and, and we're going to look into next week just some of the challenges of work, even as it relates to, to calling. Like, what, how, how, do you, how do you really know if this is what God has for you? We're going we're to dig into some of that stuff, so I invite you to come back. I'm going to give you an opportunity as we wrap up our time together to um, give back to God tithes and offering, and we're going to have our ushers come down, invite you to stand as we sing this last song. And uh, 
And then we're going to get things ready for some good food, some chili. And so um, if you could help out. And again, whether you are prepared for that or not, maybe you showed up today, you had no idea there was a, a, a potluck lunch on, you brought nothing. I just want you to know that is totally okay. We will have enough food, okay? Uh, we might have to do a, a little Caesars run or something, but we will have enough food for everybody, okay? We'd love to have you stick around, and these are just, we don't just do these to do these. We actually do these because they, it helps create community. It's a great chance for you to take this moment on Sunday where you really don't know the people around you, get to know some people, and so we'd love to have you stick around, and I promise you there's going to be some amazing chilies this afternoon, okay? So we'd love to have you stick around. But as the, uh, the bucket goes down your row, let's sing this last song together and just speak God's blessing over our lives, our work, everything about us. God bless.